When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, today we're debating whether or not the left is pushing transgenderism and sex ed on the youth, and we are starting right now with Brenton's opening statement. Thanks so much for being with us, Brenton. The floor is all yours for your opening statement. Hey folks, uh, Brenton Lengel. Uh, I'm taking the negative position, but Haas has agreed to let me go first because uh, he wants to respond to what I have to say. Um, if you guys don't know me, by the way, uh, my name is Brenton Lengel. I'm a playwright, uh, anarchist, and author of Snow White Zombie Apocalypse and uh, also Darudi's Shadow of the People, the second issue of which uh, will be coming out uh, very, very soon. So I'm really excited about that. So to begin... The charge that the left is somehow indoctrinating children, specifically with regards to promoting LGBT identity and behavior, is a common refrain from the right-wing media machine. The culture war is both vapid and insufferable at the best of times, but lately it has taken a particularly sinister turn in this regard as to the obviously bad-faith charge that academia is somehow littered with leftist groomers. This attempt to stoke moral panic is particularly hilarious coming from the far right. See my previous debate on this subject against neo-Nazi J.F. Garapé. Suffice to say, the actual institutional abuse of children is not happening within schools or libraries and has nothing to do with drag queen story hour. Conversely, it has everything to do with venerable right-wing institutions like the Roman Catholic Church, the American Evangelical Movement, and the elite members of the Republican Party like Matt Gates and Roy Moore. But the literally criminal levels of hypocrisy aside, let's take this charge seriously. After all, it is certainly possible that both sides of the political aisle are engaged in this sort of behavior. So first, let's define the left. Now, to be clear, I do not consider myself part of the left. I agree with them on most issues, but I'm not joining their team, nor am I drinking their Kool-Aid. If I think the left is wrong about something, I will throw them under the bus in an instant. Instead, I am speaking to Haas today as a communist who firmly believes that queer lib is class struggle and inherently tied into the struggle against imperialism and Western hegemony. But what is the left? Well, there's two ways you can look at it. You can arbitrarily set the bar for the center squarely between the USA's two ruling parties, the Democrats and the GOP. I would take issue with this characterization because the world is much bigger than just the USA, and in the grand scheme of things, the Democrats, even the most progressive Democrats, are still more or less center-right, at least in terms of the first world. Still, if Haas wants to frame things in purely American terms, I will accept this characterization for the purposes of this discussion. However, I think a better place to draw the line between the right and the left is actually over the issue of capitalism, specifically the desire to move beyond it in favor of some form of socialism, as well as support for some kind of revolutionary movement. So Marxists, classical anarchists, and various forms of democratic socialists are all broadly leftists, in my view. 
Leftists traditionally embrace civil rights and social progression because at their core, the left is driven by a fundamental respect for human life, regardless of rank or distinction. To quote Che Guevara, it may seem strange, but a revolutionary is driven by great feelings of love. So with our terms defined, I will point out that this debate, that in this debate, my interlocutor has all of his work ahead of him, as I am the one taking the negative position and he is making the positive claim. The burden of proof is on Haas. He must prove that this leftist conspiracy is actually happening, which he will be unable to, because beyond a few heavily propagandized edge cases, there's absolutely no valid or convincing evidence that any of this grooming is taking place. As anecdotal evidence is not representative and vague gestures directed at some supposed malevolent cabal are exactly that, airy nothings and nothing more, if Haas wants to claim that the left is indoctrinating children, he must conclusively show, one, the specific existence of such an organization that is supposedly engaged in this particular indoctrination process. Two, the existence of particular people within this organization's structure who have taken these actions and how those same actions materially result in grooming. He must be able to credibly associate said organization and individuals within the left as a whole. Number three, in such a way that their specific presence can be seen as, at the very least, representative of a major current within leftist ideology and practice. He will, of course, be unable to do this because the grooming moral panic relies entirely on innuendo and statistically insignificant edge cases. The fact of the matter is, the increased visibility of LGBTQ individuals and identities in school literature isn't some sinister plot. It is a reflection that our society, in response to the information age, is becoming more pluralistic. Gay people exist, as do trans folks, and as a result of this, we would be doing our children an extreme disservice if we kept these obvious facts from them. Ironically, suppression of sex education at school actually increases the chances that children will be sexually abused, according to the Journal of Zanya Medicine, who state unequivocally that, the reality, that in reality, the main abusers of children within the family are fathers and stepfathers, and the main abusers outside of the family are not drag queens or gay or trans individuals, but in fact, cis hetero boyfriends. The journal goes on to state, the prevention of sexual abuse against children and adolescents should occur at school due to the close contact with teachers. Professionals aware of their duties in cases of abuse are fundamental to the discussion and detection of such situations. Sex education should be part of the school routine, giving teachers and administrators the confidence to know what stance to take in cases of sexual abuse. Now, Nature Journal, the most respected scientific publication in the Western world, concurs with Zhang Ya, stating... The National Education Standards K through 12 second edition is potentially one of the most powerful components of a multi-pronged strategy to lower the unacceptably high rates of sexual violence in the United States. And it is important to note that the NSES-CSE specifically stresses, quote, acceptance of students who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning, many of whom are at, at disproportionate risk for school absenteeism, dropping out, bullying, and detrimental sexual health outcomes, such as HIV, other STDs, and unintended pregnancy. So, Materially, scientifically, learning about and accepting LGBTQ identities as one of the many valid expressions of love and gender prevents child abuse. Now, do schools, especially public schools in the United States, always handle this part of the curriculum well? Absolutely not. 
But that's mainly because the American educational system is more or less garbage and is designed to churn out managers, clerks, and service industry workers. Why? Because to quote George Carlin, the owners of this country don't want a population of critical thinkers. Instead, the major business and financial interests want people who are just smart enough to do the job and handle the paperwork while simultaneously being too dumb to sit around the kitchen table at night and realize just how terribly they're getting screwed by the elite ruling, ruling class and the capitalist system. They want obedient workers, and a good comprehensive education is not conducive to that. Now, keeping all that in mind, there is another major reason why it is particularly ridiculous to charge the left with the attempted indoctrination of children, namely because it ignores how leftists, particularly Marxists, but also anarchists and democratic socialists, think. One of the major differences between the right and the left is that the right is largely philosophically idealist in its approach to reality. And when I say that, I don't mean that they have high ideals, but rather the right believes in some form of metaphysical idealism, usually uh, that reality itself is primarily mental, or at the very least that it is ideas that drive movements in history and human culture. To the right-wing brain, a series history is a series of great men with good ideas imposing their will upon the world and battling evil men with bad ideas. For evidence of this, all you need to do is look at how often the right-wing media machine finds ideological bugaboos to whip their followers into a frenzy of hate for clicks, cash, and clout. As Jordan Peterson famously put it, most right-wingers believe that people do not possess ideas. Ideas possess people. Now, once you understand this, you'll realize very quickly, while they're always trying to root out the evil subversive ideas within our society, critical race theory, postmodern neo-Marxism, radical Islam, LGBT propaganda, Shakira law, it's all the same. To the right-wing mind, it is these ideas that are causing all of the problems. And if we can just get rid of them, well, then everything will be fine. Now, this is insanely relevant here because this is not at all how the left thinks. Leftists, especially Marxists, reject philosophical idealism entirely. When it comes to metaphysics, the left is almost exclusively philosophically materialist, which means that leftists believe that it is not ideas that drive society, nor is it individuals that drive history. Rather, it is physical circumstances. Assuming that one can indoctrinate a population by means of popular education is to put the cart before the horse. To a philosophical materialist, ideas and ideology grow out of the situation a person finds themselves in. So even if leftists wanted to indoctrinate children into some form of LGBTQ lifestyle, they wouldn't be doing it with drag queen story hour or woke school policy because they don't believe that you can change people on a fundamental level by exposing them to particular ideas. People will develop and adopt ideas based around what makes sense for them and their goals and their communities. This is why, for instance, you can't stop race riots by silencing the cause. The cause of such social dysfunction is material. Riots happen when a population is pushed to the brink by broad social forces. Now, the data bears this out. Hidden within the assumption that children are being indoctrinated by queer ideology is the fundamental assumption that everyone in the world is both bisexual and gender fluid. Now think about that for a second. If sexual orientation and gender identity could be altered by school policy or a trip to the library, then we should actually see this happening. Instead, we see the reverse. We know that so-called gay reparative therapy, really torture, doesn't work. To quote the American Association of Child and Adolescent Pediatrics, based on the scientific evidence, we assert that such conversion therapies lack scientific credibility and clinical utility. Additionally, there is evidence that such interventions are harmful. 
As a result, conversion therapies should not be part of any behavioral health system. So if leftists were to behave completely out of character and suddenly start thinking and acting like right-wingers, it would still be a fool's errand. If you can't pray the gay away, you obviously can't indoctrinate the trans in. It makes no sense. Now, not only that, but we know this to be true. Uh, for, uh, we know this to be a fact due to the incredibly tragic case of David Reimer, who, after a botched infant circumcision, was given female genitals and hormones and raised as a girl. If gender identification and sexual orientation could be imposed on someone, this wouldn't have been a problem. He should have been just fine being raised as a girl. He'd never known anything else. One but instead, left. David suffered his entire life, desperately trying to be recognized as a man, his actual likely biological gender. The suffering caused by the, by the medical interventions instead drove him to take his own life at age 38. So to wrap this up, right-wing claims about educational indoctrination are made by those with feet of clay who are not acting in good faith. Not only that, but they're being completely unscientific and ahistorical. Leftists are not indoctrinating children in schools or anywhere else. From a leftist perspective, the very idea of this type of indoctrination is a fool's errand. What is happening is that the right wing wants to indoctrinate children with their own values, or in my opinion, lack thereof, and are projecting this desire onto their political enemies. Don't fall for it. It's a lie, and it's a stupid lie that depends on you not knowing anything about the left and being completely ignorant of both yeah. history and science. The end of the day, people who don't want you to think are never your friends, uh, and this is why Time. we allow children to learn this um, uh, important information. It is not indoctrination. Get off the internet. Time. Shut down the culture war. I'm done. <laughs> want to say thank you very much for that opening, Brenton, and I've got to tell you folks, we really do appreciate our guests, both Brenton and Infrared. Hold on, I'm just changing monitors here. I got something funky going on, but don't worry, we're going to make it through this. Is I want to tell you, my dear friends, I am excited about a couple of things. First, if you didn't know, Modern Day Debate, Debate Con, our debate conference, is coming up on Saturday 19th in Plano, Texas. You can see at the bottom right of your screen, RN Ra and Daniel Hakikachu collide. Atheist versus Muslim, as well as, oh baby, check this one out. Matt Dillahunty and Destiny. The two biggest debaters in each category, religion and atheism debates and political debates, collide. That's going to be a juicy one on the bodily autonomy argument. You don't want to miss it. If you haven't yet, my dear friends, the link for the, dis for the tickets for that live in-person event in Plano, Texas is in the description box. Highly encourage you. Check out that link as well as the crowdfund, which you can see on the far right side of the screen right now. It says DebateCon 2 crowdfund. You can see the meter is at 52%. My dear friends, we have passed the middle mark. We are going to make our goal of $2,000. That helps us cover the venue, which is about $2,300. So we want to say, please do give to that Indiegogo crowdfund if you haven't already. One last thing before I kick it over to Infrared. I want to say it's true. Our debaters disagree on all sorts of stuff, and I disagree with them on all sorts of stuff. But as a neutral moderator, I try to say neutral. But I've got to tell you, I do want to plug this. In case you guys love comics, I've enjoyed comics since I was young. I still occasionally, in fact, i, I got to be honest, I bought, even though politically Brenton and I don't exactly align, I did buy one of his comics, which is linked in the description, folks. I've got to tell you just a little bit about this. Let me give it, let me just, I want, to, I want to give our speakers a proper plug tonight, both speakers, not just Brent. But I want to say, it is, if you're maybe politically neutral or moderate, or I should say, maybe even right leaning, 
you can enjoy this comic book because I've got to tell you, I don't really agree with Brenton on a lot, but Snow White, oh, this is, in other words, like kind of a summary of Brenton's comic book. Snow White awakens to Prince Charming's kiss 28 days later, if you've seen that movie. The seven dwarves are dead, and she is locked in a vicious love triangle with her former love, the prince, and his new lover, Rapunzel. These star-crossed lovers must find a way to come together or be devoured as the citizens of Grimm's fairy tales rise from their graves to eat the flesh of the living. If you love zombie stories, I've watched two zombie movies in the last week, Dawn of the Dead and Shaun of the Dead. I highly encourage you check out Brenton's links. He's both linked in terms of his YouTube channel as well as this zombie comic book. You can check that out in the description box. Now, we're going to kick it over to, but like I said, check out both of our guests. Thank you, Brenton. We're going to kick it over infrared. The floor is all yours for your opening as well. Okay, so there was a few things. I think I'm going to be much more brief, but we'll see. So uh, you mentioned, uh, of course, there is a reality of child abuse that goes on in, um, you know, so-called right-wing institutions, though I'm not sure how accurate it is to call these, you know, basically religious institutions politi inherently political. But besides the point, of course, there is uh, abuse that goes on behind the scenes in them, and no one would deny that. And the reason for that is because even from the perspective of those institutions and from the common sensibilities of the people, the definition of abuse is very clear. If a priest or if some figure of authority is, is uh, using their power in such a way to abuse children, everyone is very clear about what the definition of abuse is. The problem is not that right-wingers are uh, hypocritical and that we deny that. The contrary is true. We can recognize their hypocrisy because we have a very clear red line as far as what constitutes the abuse of children, the sexualization of children. But the problem I have with the American left, and more on that in a moment, is that they're trying to change the definition of abuse. So, of course, they are not interested in abusing children if they can just simply change the definition of what constitutes abuse in the first place. How could you be abused if you're not going to call it abuse anymore? You're going to call it the exploration of, you know, child sexuality or the expression of alternative sexual identities and the pursuit. You can you can change the definition. You can change the wording in such a way where we can't refer to it as abuse any longer or else we risk being called bigots. And I think that is what is at the center of the pro the debate in America. It's a problem of the definition of child abuse and child sexual abuse is changing, okay? No one denies that right-wingers uh, are hypocrites, uh, not all of them, but that the hypocrisy exists among right-wingers, but that's only because we have a common and agreed-upon understanding of what abuse is. And to me, the left is simply trying to change what that is, such that it's not going to be something behind closed doors, uh, which everyone would recognize as a horrible thing whenever it, people got caught for it, it would be like an openly tolerated thing, just called something else. Um, but more, as far as the political distinction between left and right, I think this is kind of too philosophically um, convoluted for the range of the debate. I have written about this in my MAGA communism substack. I do have a political theory about political difference, but I don't think it's necessarily relevant to when people say the left, just to be clear, they're not making some like philosophical statement on the definition of the left or the definition of the right in a broad historical sense. They're refer referring to a polarization 
that is like abundantly clear. There is a polarization in this country, and there's two sides to this polarization. One side is referred to as the right. The other side is referred to as the left. That's not because there's like a common agreed upon definition of what those things are. It's just because one side is acting in a distinct way. The other side is acting in another distinct way. One side, for example, um, is promoting the teaching of, uh, you know, um, of, uh, of sexuality to children and the other side objects to this right so uh, one is called the left one is called the right now if, if you want to actually get into a historical reason for why this is it's not because you, you mentioned that right-wingers are idealists but i find your analysis of the distinction between left and right idealist it's very clear all you have to do is follow the money as far as what is behind the American left, is it ideas? Is it some kind of commitment to principle? Is it some kind of commitment to change in the abstract? No, it's a money trail. You go to the roots of it in the post-war period uh, of the United States, after World War II, I mean, and you can trace, like you can actually follow the money to the actual foundations uh, of the billionaires and the ruling capitalist class their philanthropic foundations and their network of this artificial shadow civil society they created. And none of none of this is a conspiracy theory because very openly people like the Rockefellers and the Morgans and other, you know, um, you know, uh, big members of the American ruling class made it very clear that they had a broad and sweeping vision of social change and so-called progress. And what underlied their vision was this kind of progressive ideology, according to which all substantive communal bonds of the people are a remnant of a backward uh, world. And that in order to go forward into the world of progressivism, everything has to be all that is solid has to melt into air. Basically, all of this has to be uprooted. Everything must be commodified. Everything must be integrated into a totalizing system of information, commerce, technology, and uh, basically abstraction basic is this kind of hypermodern vision that underlies progressivism whose root is uh, the ruling capitalist class and capitalism. So the Ford Foundation, for example, played the, not just the Ford Foundation. There's there's several others. Right. But this is probably one of the main ones was actually at the fore of promoting alternative sexuality and all this kind of stuff in terms of like giving it institutional recognition before Stonewall and before the so-called LGBT movement at the grassroots level, which never existed, by the way, took off. This all has its origin in a kind of social engineering by the American ruling class. It's not a conspiracy theory because you can just follow the money and read the history of it. This doesn't just apply to the LGBT movement, by the way. I'm not just picking on them. It also applies to feminism. It also applies in many respects to this kind of, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, racial, uh, post-civil rights kind of racial, uh, you know, social justice kind of stuff. All of this, can you can follow the money for all these kinds of things. So with that being said, in terms of how the curriculum is decided for how these books are being put into children's school libraries, it's not necessarily that there's a conspiracy of like a handful of people who just decide, yeah, we're just going to put this on children. Rather, this artificial uh, civil society that has been created with money, unaccountable, unelected money, we didn't get to vote on it. It was money that was um, used by the 
most wealthy segments of the American ruling class to change society according to their vision. Um, this was used. This these civil society groups, NGOs, activist groups, philanthropic foundations, uh, et cetera, et cetera. They exert lobbyists. They exert a tremendous amount of influence in terms of uh, how the how it's decided what books go into children's libraries, how it's decided what gets put on the curriculum. These are all things that are institutionally mediated, not just by the government that's elected by we the people, but also by this shadow civil society created by the ruling class. So with that being said, and with that understanding in mind, rather than some kind of uh, cartoonish conspiracy where there's a cabal on top that's just deciding everything in a top-down way, you're dealing with something a little bit more complex. You're dealing with a ruling class agenda, yes, that is funneled and mediated through the creation of an artificial civil society. That means there doesn't have to be one conspiracy at the top. The will of the ruling class gets to be diffused in NGOs, activist groups, institutions which pay people's salary and allow people to make a living, which exerts hegemony and influence over what avant-garde ideas in the university actually will get funding, what research will get funding and what research won't get funding, what activists get funding and which activists don't get funding. It's not one conspiracy. It's a network. It's a network that permeates the lowest sectors of our society in the form of an entire shadow civil society. And the way this works isn't necessarily, you know, um, that everything is controlled by the same source. The control is happening in a um, kind of more rhizomatic way, if you will. It's a web. It's a network. So, for example, why is it that on TV, because we're not just dealing with public schools, if you watch these um, cartoons for uh, like toddlers, basically, I, I've seen it. I've seen it on YouTube. There was the gay parade one that was for children. And it was like it was talking about trans people and it was talking about all the different kinds of families. And this was for toddlers, by the way. I mean, which writers and which showrunners and producers decided that? Well, they're the people who decided that are the ones who probably got educated somewhere. Well, who decided the um, curriculum of their education? So as you, as you can see, this is not an organic thing that comes from the grassroots, from the people as some historical organic change, as you tried to allude to. This has its roots in money and the thing that I'm because I'm a materialist, the thing that actually feeds people. What is what streams of revenue enable these people who don't who, who are creative and, and they're academics and they do all this? They influence people for a living. Right. This is what I'm trying to say. They don't work with their hands for a living working in factories or anything, or even working at McDonald's, they draft up. What are the things we're going to see on TV? What are the things we're going to learn in school? Two minutes How do they make a living? Where does that money come from? The the private philanthropic foundations and the shadow civil society, where does, where does that money come from? It doesn't come from thin air. It doesn't come from popular demand. It's not created in a decentralized way. It comes from the ruling class. So that's my argument here. Now, I think you finally made an argument, and I don't really remember the rest of what you said, but you, you said something about how right-wingers see the world in an idealist way because they attribute the latest thing, oh, it's critical race theory or whatever. And you said Marxists are different because they're materialists. Well, they're supposed to be materialists. I agree they're supposed to be, but that's just not how the American left is. 
the American left is more idealist than the right, I would say, because they attribute uh, all of this uh, so-called phenomena coming from the other side also to ideas. They just call it the, the ideas of the far right or f- more importantly, fascism and Nazism. And then there isn't a day that goes by that someone like me gets accused of being a Dugan conspiracy. I'm a Duganist. It's a LaRouche conspiracy, Lyndon LaRouche. Um, who else? Nick Land, uh, Nick Land's accelerationism. I mean, there isn't a day that goes by that a new conspiracy emerges as far as what is behind the infrared phenomena from the left. So this applies to the left even more. They're the ones who are always kind of trying to look for the primordial metaphysical idea that's behind why parents are objecting to the fact that there's books in, in, in children's libraries at public schools which are teaching children how to go on the Internet and meet strangers to have sex with or how to have and engage in a very viscerally detailed way how to have sex uh, in general, like how to have gay sex and all this kinds of stuff that they're, te- they're putting in children's libraries. And children ob- object to this. For example, here in Dearborn, Michigan, which is a predominantly um, Arab and Muslim twenty seconds community, you know they're like, oh, this is just Islamist ideology. It's not like this is coming from like some intuitive, in, you know, even instinctual thing from the heart of the parents. It's it's it has to be a right wing ideology uh, brainwashing them. But there you go. That's that's my argument. You got it. And I want to say, my dear friends, we're going to jump into the open discussion. This is going to be juicy. It's going to be lively. In the same way I mentioned, Brenton is linked below in the description box. Infrared is also linked in the description box. You can hear plenty more of his views. If this is somehow your first time that you've heard of him, you can hear all about his political views as well as other views at his YouTube channel below. And I want to give you a reminder, folks, if you haven't yet, Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. We have many juicy debates coming up at DebateCon. If you're like, hey, I can't make it to your debate conference. I'm not in Texas, James. I can't make it live in person. Hey, all of the debates are streamed live for the public. It's insane. We're giving the conference away. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss anything, including the epic panel at the bottom right of your screen, Big Tech and censorship covering topics like Elon Musk's new takeover of Twitter, which Brenton is really excited about, as well <laughs> as many other topics like Andrew Tate, as well as Sneeko being banned from social media. That panel starring, as you can see on the bottom right of your screen, Alex Stein, Stardust, Justin Gibson, Jackson Hinkle, Mouthy Infidel, and Melanie Mack is going to be huge. So like I said, hit subscribe. And thank you very much, Brenton and Infrared. The floor is all yours. Hey, so thank you so much for that, Haz. Um, uh, There's a lot of stuff there, but uh, one thing I wanted to follow up on. um, So uh, thank you for giving us a chance to talk about how billionaires in particular influence um, uh, social opinion and social movements. Um, I think absolutely you will find that uh, propaganda put out by billionaires does change people's attitudes in much the same way that like advertising changes people's attitudes. Um, where I'm having a bit of a problem, though, is the ruling class doesn't speak with one voice. There are tons of right-wing billionaires out there and tons of right-wing NGOs doing the exact opposite. Uh, Peter Thiel, Fee, the Mercers, Mises.org, the Heritage Foundation, Focus on the Family, the Cato Institute, um, like the entire Kochtepus that is wrapped around this nation. So like, 
Yeah. Okay. Billionaires do um, use their money to influence political action, like within the population. But I don't think that there is a causal, like what billionaire in particular is giving money to make kids gay who would, and, and why does it work? Why do they become gay? Because he gives money to some NGOs. So there's uh, just off the top of my head, there's obviously George Soros. There's um, the Stryker Corporation by John Stryker, who founded the Arcus Philanthropic Foundation. And you'll see that actually, even the ones that aren't public, you can actually measure this. Although there are right wing billionaires, um, these are these tend to be people who are coming. There's exceptions more from either new money or ones that have been excluded from the kind of hegemonic consensus of the ruling class, which is overwhelmingly progressive and believes in progressivism. The reason you hear about people like the Kochs and Peter Thiel and the Mercers is because there are actually exceptions when it comes to how big money is actually spent to influence the public. It's like you had the Ford Foundation, the Rockefellers, the Morgans, and others mm -hmm. who have consolidated the shadow civil society. And then there's these other right-wing billionaires that are trying to kind of push back against that with alternatives, but they're failing in doing that. That's why, you know, you'll never see on the Disney channel or in Disney's media, you know, uh, stuff that's against the LGBT cause or just even neutral on it, right, at this point. Um, the same thing. So when it comes to TV for what children view on TV, you know, there's not really a big foothold for right wing media. The same goes for public schools and, and, and universities and academia. Actually, the right wingers are kind of these insurgent forces. They are trying to rebel against this. Often they always almost always fail. But it's like they're always trying to make noise and cause controversy over these things. But they, they don't actually succeed in having any hegemony over the direction society goes in. And you can okay, see this. Like, sorry, if I could just get you right there. The, like Tucker Carlson is one of the mo – I think he is the most watched cable news show in the country. The right-wing media is huge. Uh, yeah. You've got OAN. You've got, um, you, you've got Fox News. You've got right. um, now the network of websites uh, and media outlets that are driving like, for instance, QAnon. So like – the first thing, right. yeah, I, I get what you're saying in, in in a broad sense, but like, who exactly is George Soros paying to make kids gay, and how is the person sure. that George Soros? So, is so before we get to that, gay? before we get to that, there's a reason Tucker Carlson is so hugely popular and successful is because very few people are allowed to be platformed like Tucker Carlson is, and you see that when people like that can be platformed. They're actually wildly popular among the American people. And this is what I would this is a very common effect with yeah, when it comes to right wing influencers. Right, right wing influencers tend to actually become successful on the merits of their content. Left wing influencers, conversely, don't become popular because of the merit of their content. They become popular because of monopolies. This is especially reflected in media. If can you, you had a Disney channel, what's that? Can you prove that statement? Absolutely, it can be proven. Okay. It can be proven by pointing out the fact that someone like Tucker Carlson probably is beginning with the same amount of capital as MSNBC and other talking heads from liberal news on t on cable TV. And actually, there's way more liberal news on cable TV than Fox News. But there's even besides that, there's way more yeah, but, liberal. But he's not. He's a scion of the um, the uh, freaking Swanson like family dinners. Um, yeah, but in, is coming in, from yeah, okay, okay. Murdoch. But but how is how is Tucker Carlson's show going to be? How is that starting capital going? Like I said, the starting capital necessary 
to start a show. All he gets is airtime on one of the cable news channels, right? Well, other liberal commentators, yeah, liberal commentators who occupy more TV channels get the same. And you see by huge margins, people like Tucker Carlson dwarf those people. We can use examples like YouTube. Mm -hmm. Liberals on YouTube don't have censorship to fear. There's a bias as far as YouTube's moderation and even some say algorithm that favors uh, liberal and progressive voices. And yet, starting from the same capital, starting from the same platform, right-wing commentators and right-wing influencers dwarf the liberal ones. I mean, this is true on platforms like Twitch. The reason Hassan has hegemony over the Twitch market is because almost every other right-wing voice either got banned already or has to so severely censor themselves that they can't provide any competition to Hassan's kind of more extremist views. That level of extremism from Hassan, you cannot get from a right winger on some something like Twitch. And if you could, I have okay. no doubt whatsoever that Hassan would be a nobody compared to them. Okay, but what, what does this have to do with the left indoctrinating children? Like now, okay, now I just wanted to I just wanted to make a point about uh, who actually exerts the most influence in society. But so going to the thing about how how children are being indoctrinated, the thing with children is that obviously um, children are not necessarily born sexual, and what I mean that in the sense is like they haven't gone through puberty yet, and they're in the process of becoming um, sexed into like adult subjects. So there's a level of confusion when it comes to children as far as identity is concerned. Children kind of aren't that different from each other on a biological level before they enter puberty, right? And that's why the formative stages of childhood on a psychological level are so important because the process of nature taking over has not yet occurred. So there's this need for children to come to become accustomed to what gender roles are and what it means to have role models and what what people they should be looking up to and whose so, uh, footsteps you, they should be following. Kids? Sorry? You have any kids? No. Okay. So I, I'm a father. I've got a four-year-old son. Um, now, you are right in that children are not particularly sexual, um, you know, when they're very little. Uh, sexual, you know, desire does tend to uh, appear at puberty. Um, but gender, that they, kids start giving out gender signals and start identifying with one gender or the other when they're like two or three years old. Like, my son is definitely a boy. Um, you know, and there are other people, usually uh, 99% of the time, a kid at that age is going to have a standard. Okay, um, but do children know, have the burden? Are, ch are children, do they ever have to be burdened with the anxiety of doubt? Like, for example, if you are told that you're a boy from birth, you're going to be pretty certain that you're a boy. But if someone comes along and tells you, hey, actually... It's a there's a possibility you may not be a boy. There's a possibility you may not be a girl. So you actually have to figure out what you really are. And at that point, I think you're kind of engaging in a form of grooming and child abuse because you're imposing this anxiety and this Cartesian doubt on children before they even have a chance to enter into puberty and actually become what they really are. You're basically um, telling them that their gender is something arbitrary and that they have can have no knowledge of it. And this could lead so, them but, to but make who's, who's life altering that? choices that are, in fact, irreversible, um, you know, before even before puberty, where they actually will grow into their real biological sex. So this is really the problem we're dealing with here. It's a form of child. How abuse are we dealing with that problem? Who's doing it? 
Um, public institutions and private institutions are depriving children of the certainty of what their gender is, which is imposing on them a confusion they would otherwise not have. Right. But can you elaborate which public institutions? Like, let me just give you an example. Um, so the reason I brought up the Roman Catholic Church, uh, there's a great documentary on this on Netflix. It's called The Keepers. Um, and what it, the whole thing grows out of the murder of a nun. And what you find out uh, as this goes on is there's this one priest in particular, Father Maskell, who is specifically working with other priests within the organization to traffic minors uh, for sex. But that's not allowed openly. uh, Sure, but that's a horrible, horrific criminal uh, underground that's going on. Yeah, of course. Okay, but but hold on. But I think the difference is happening. Yeah, but nobody nobody would dare say actually we should openly tolerate this. And institutionally tolerate this openly. I think that's the problem. My problem when when leftists point out Mm -hmm. the criminality of like conservatives behind the scenes or their hypocrisy. My problem is that they then go, okay, instead of trying to solve that hypocrisy by actually arriving at real virtue, let's just openly, um, you know, accept the evil thing instead of just still recognizing it's a bad thing. So that's Mm -hmm. and and that applies to like a broad range of things. Like, for example, I don't want to get into it. We don't want to have to debate about it. It's my personal view. Prostitution. Right. They're like, oh, yeah. Right wingers secretly love prostitution. They're just hypocrites about it. And when it's in the underworld, you know, it's it's still happening either way. So let's just like tolerate prostitution and making it open. So it's like it's changing what is more to do with um, the elites. Um, Elite people tend to skirt laws and morality much more often than the proletariat. but, But my problem is how the progressive agenda seems to be always about changing the definition of what is virtue and what is vice rather than actually being committed to the elimination of vice. Okay. No, you know, I get you. I think that's valid. Um, and I can see why you feel that way. Um, my question here, cause I don't really consider progressives necessarily. They, they, they're usually leftists today, but they can also have some very reactionary social views. Uh, Britain's a good example. You know, it's got the reputation of being turf Island at this point. And the, the UK labor party is, is like that. <laughs> Um, so like, as far as social progressivism goes, um, I guess, so what would be the difference between the, that you could see between our society simply evolving to include more of reality as our scientific understanding of our own species increases and, um, you know, these people imposing, false values and changing definitions, uh, of this stuff, like what would be the difference? Um, I think the difference is that when it comes to the evolution of society, you're dealing with something that's happening from below at the level of real civil society, at the level of mores and the mores adopted by communities. And it's changing at that level. It's not you don't have this acute difference between the common communal mores of the people and sentiments of the people on the one hand and these like overwhelming abstract institutions which are looking at society in a really abstract way on the other. I think this is what, this is the kind of clash we're dealing with. You're dealing with people who are looking at everything from a really like abstract rationalistic or post-rationalistic, however you want to call it, Cartesian way. And then you have people who are feeling things in an intuitive way based on sentiment and based on mores. Mm -hmm. And this is this kind of acute difference that I think is not conducive to real real like evolutionary change in terms of the culture i think it rather is conducive to um a form of almost i would this seems extreme but i would call it a form of extermination of 
humanity, not only humanity's values that it has now, but its ability to even cultivate values in the first place. I don't think these abstract institutions are conducive to the cultivation of a human society and of human values and of uh, a I human mean, environment. I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree that um, specific institutions can be out of step with the general population. That's a big reason as to why I'm an, ar- uh, an anarchist. You know, I, I think that uh, as you center more and more power in the hands of elites, those elites are become isolated and um, they actually wind up becoming stupider and more likely to be criminals. Like, for instance, uh, there's been studies that show that, like, it, the, the effect of being uh, in a powerful position has a similar effect as having a traumatic brain injury. Um, so, you know, as we create these heights of power within our society, obviously we're going to have institutions to uh, direct that will that are out of step with the population itself. Um, I, I guess what 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 what's bugging me here is that you seem to be taking your particular views on gender as the correct one um, a priori. I'm, I'm not seeing a reason why because I mean, as I mentioned earlier, like with da- with you know that poor guy David, um, if you could convince someone. To change their gender by how you, te- if if kids were actually a tabula rasa, which I don't think is the case, um, like he would have been fine as a girl. He 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 was given the surgery to become a girl as a baby. He was given hormones like from as soon as it was safe to give them to him. He was told he was a girl by everyone, and the entire time he was no no I'm a boy I'm a boy. And you know it, this went on until eventually he found out about it. But then unfortunately, if you you know I think he committed suicide at thirty. So like you know that that's awful. That's well, a really extreme situation. But I think that's more representative of how people uh, relate to their gender. I don't think it's a choice for most. Well, I think that's a two-pronged thing. One of them is about whether my views are correct, and the other thing is the specific case you mentioned. And I think it's it's a psychologically complex topic as far as how gender identity does become adopted by people. But what I would say is that if they were indeed not born uh, a woman or born female and that they mm-hmm. knew about this, then I think that it's safe to say that that would have a huge impact as far as how they viewed themselves. It's not necessarily that when people call you a certain way and they tell you you're a certain thing and you know, that you're know you given a surgery, that that's going to make you a certain gender. It's more like how you know what you are is based on this kind of dichotomy between certainty and doubt. If you're told that you're a boy It's not just that you're being told you're a boy. It's also that you're being told you're a boy. And in the process of maturing, you're kind of being roped along. And this thing that people are telling you is in harmony with the changes that are actually happening to you as you grow So did you ever doubt that you were a boy? No. And the reason I didn't is because when people said, hey, Haas, you're a boy, as I would age and as I would experiencing things in life, biologically... This would make sense to me. What they're telling me made sense to me at a very intuitive level, right? But when you impose a Cartesian doubt, which basically says, hey, um, that sense, that ability to cohere your experiences and the continuum of your experiences is gone, and now there's just this doubt – Well, children are ambiguous. Hey, do you like playing with Barbie dolls? I don't necessarily know. Let me, you know, I I don't know. The the color pink isn't so bad. Nobody, there's that voice guiding you along to maturity is gone now. And now it's you're left to, to yourself to be like, okay, I have to like decide what my gender is. 
based on the arbitrary continuum of experience and datum I'm um, getting as I'm growing. It sounds like you're talking about like a kid without a parent. Um, No, it's more like a kid without the guidance to 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 like be raised right to be raised into the sex that they are okay so i i get you um i understand what you're saying that a a kid who is um i guess um doesn't have a family structure in which he can feel um guided by other people within the family or friends or uh, you know uh positive role models within the community could i guess become confused um, again, I don't think that that level of nurture trumps biology. Um, you know, I think, you know, pretty much th- there are probably some people within our population who for whom gender is a, um, you know, is fluid. There are just like there are people who are bisexual and can choose, you know, to be attracted to men or women or, well, they're generally attracted to both without choice. But like th- the point is, is that like, love just seems so much more hard-coded into humanity. So I I have a hard time believing, even in the case of, you know, like an orphan or somebody, somebody alienated from their family, that they'll go as far as to be convinced that they are this other gender. Um, I I guess it could happen. Um, I I really, well, I personally believe gender is biological, right? But at mm -hmm. the same time, children do need to be raised into their gender. They need to be, just like they need to be, like, for example, Eating is biological. I mean, um, defecating is, is biological. I mean, almost everything we do is biological, right? But we still, as we're growing up, we need to be raised into these things such that there's a harmony between like what we're the information we're receiving, the signals that we're receiving and what we're actually feeling inside. Right. Mm-hmm. So that harmony is the basis of the development of a fully grown human being. And okay. it's not that I think the biology will cease to exist. That's quite the problem. If someone is giving confused and mixed signals about what gender they are, or they're somehow doubting what gender they are, that they're, they're going to make rash decisions, or they're going to be allowed to make rash decisions, such as identifying in another way, or worse, you know, taking medication or hormones that alter them irreversibly. And then all of a sudden, they're going to realize that this is discordant with what they actually are. And this is going to be a source of trauma and problems for them for the rest of their life. Hold on one second and jump in really quick just to let you know, folks, if you happen to have a question for the Q&A, do submit it. We are going to wrap up probably around 930-ish tonight, so it is going to be a little bit shorter, so you do want to get your questions in. If you've got them, go ahead, Brent. Yeah, so so um, what I wanted to say is I, I see that the, the, the narrative that you're building there. I, I understand what you're trying to say. Um, however, the, the thing – okay, so there's like social things that are kind of imposed. You're essentially talking about how a child has certain biological drives and then is taught to express those drives in culturally appropriate ways pink versus blue, whatever. Um, I will point out that like, you know, you were talking about the rich engineering society, the idea that pink is for girls and blue is for boys, that that's straight up comes from capital. It comes from advertising agencies. It actually used to be the reverse. Um, and there's a, tons of other products here. A lot of the his and hers stuff is just capitalism trying to market to a specific demographic. But, you know, you talk about this kid being confused because he knows about the existence of trans people and possibly he could be one in a very unlikely situation. So how do you explain, for instance, 
they have done brain scans on trans people. And these are these are like pre-transition trans people who haven't received the hormones, uh, who haven't gone under surgery. And the brain scan shows that their brain is more biologically similar to the gender they identify with than the gender they were born with. So a, a trans man, her brain might be much more like mine than the other uh, female female brain. So I, I feel like the material biology of the of the um, situation really plays against this sort of, I guess, um, cultural, lack of a better word, idealistic way of approaching gender. Because I, and I'm I'm not saying that as a slam. I'm just saying, like, you know, if yeah, you can confuse I, I, from what I know, those studies, those studies are extremely ambiguous. And also, I think it's a wrong assumption to make that brains are an indication of biological essence because they're so plastic. What's biological I mean, essence? Like it, just because you're looking at someone's brain doesn't mean you're looking at what they actually really are biologically because brains actually are plastic and they mold themselves in accordance with neuroplasticity is a thing. I, I agree with yeah. you on that. No, but what I'm, what is biological essence? Where is that? Is it in the heart? Is it in the genetic genetic code? Is it in the, I think I, my it? view, I have a, I don't think biological essence is something you can um, view a post posterior i don't know what exactly how to say it it's not something you look at after a the fact posteriori. it's something it's something in the active process of its development so the biological essence of something is the it's it's in motion it's in development it's mm -hmm. it's in the process of its development it's not necessarily like a gene or a specific part of so, your body. It, it, so the biological essence is the process of, of yeah. life, essentially, within the, yeah. the being. Right. I, I will agree with you on that. But then what you've done, essentially, and I think this is the correct view, is you have asserted that biological essence, particular biological essence, does not exist. Because if it's a process, it's continually changing. No, no, it does. It, it does, because the process also... Um, the process just because it's a process doesn't mean that process isn't kind of like determined and in, in already in some kind of way. And you can see that mm -hmm. determination, not necessarily like, for example, you can see it in chromosomes. That doesn't mean it's in the chromosome. It just means that chromosome is an artifact mm -hmm. of a specific form of that process. So it's it's almost like you're a detective and you're investigating these different patterns of like, okay, um, what is the biological essence of this thing? It's a series of patterns and it's a mm -hmm. series of signs that add up in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much how I would see it. So I would love to have a debate on um, hard determinism. James won't let me do it. You keep saying nobody cares. People care, James. Um, <laughs> but like, um, I agree with you that um, processes, have, you know, they tend to fall into a particular pattern. But let, let's, for instance, look at one that's uh, we could argue is 100 percent determined, um, you know, the course of a river that is determined not by humans, assuming nobody's messed with it. It keeps going. But, you know, there's the famous philosophical thing. We never step into the same river. It is constantly moving and changing. So I feel like this essence is an idea that we have. It's a ghost, but I don't think it's real. Um, I think instead um, it, it's humans engaging in. Um, uh, I can't think of the name for it, but where you, people see faces and things that there's no face there. Uh, we're we're pattern-seeking creatures, and when there is no pattern that we can identify, we will impose a pattern. Uh, because well, that's I definitely think evolved. there there are essence, because essence just means the content of something. The question is, where is the essence? Is it already fixed somewhere, or is the essence being created mm -hmm. um, in the process of its expression, like a, a like its formal expression? 
So I, I would say the essence is in the form and the development of the form itself. If we could, so how could we determine, just take just a person, how do we determine what that person's essence is? How do we isolate it? And how do we um, make sure that they really are essentially, you know, for instance, a man? Um, you know, I, I pointed to. I, I to think you should spaces. probably take nature as the best um, indicator go well. indicator of that. In terms of yeah, like that's, when that's someone, not going to go well at all, dude. I'm sorry. I, I think it will go well. And if someone we have frogs is, and fish that change sex from male to female, nature is a mad scientist. I, yeah, I mean, but I don't really think. Animals. Yeah, but we're not frogs or fish. We're human beings. And if someone is born with certain, and if someone is born with in a certain way, and I know there there are people who are cross sex, and there's all sorts of exceptions, but that's exactly what they are. They're exceptions. There's still yeah. this fundamental pattern of how there's two sexes. And I think so, if someone, do, if, do you if, own a, if do you own a coat. Sorry? You own a coat. Yeah. Okay. So that coat that you're wearing, um, you know, assuming, let's say it's made of wool, um, you know, humans are not sheep. Through our technology, we have been able to capture the okay, sheep's sure. ability. I just, yeah, I, so, I know. So, but, for instance, with... But sexuality is more fundamental than human history and human technology. It's literally, I mean, sexuality, it means to be sexed. There's two versions of humanity of what a human and, being can be. And it's pretty it's pretty clear there's two versions and intersex people are just exceptions that are caught between the development of these two different versions. Then there's not two versions, though. Then there's. Yeah, yeah, there is. There's a version. So so there's a difference. There's two. And then there's expressions of how these two can interact in such a way Mm -hmm. that, you know, there's something in between. Right. But those are very rare exceptions. So but in terms of, um, you know, in terms of sexuality and its its importance its importance here um so why, why if, do you think if someone is animals? in fact if someone is in fact intrinsically contrary to what they appear as from birth mm-hmm. and what we expect them to be from birth then the burden should be upon them to go against the existing mores and all of the institutions to break through and give expression to what they really are. If transgender just identity... Describe the gay rights movement. <laughs> well, no, it, but here's the problem. Mm-hmm. If that was true, then you would it would not require such a huge institutional power. It wouldn't require socially engineering and transforming everyone's environment to make right. everyone confused. It, everyone so, would be clear about who they were. And then the people who truly are exceptions... That exceptionality would be able to prevail over the environmental and institutional, um, you know, so what, what way that we instantiate our humanity. Yeah, what institution is doing it though? Like what institution? Public is schools, changing? for example. Okay, I, I mean, I went to public school. I don't remember. The, I, I don't remember that. I, I don't. I don't either. Class. But that's just what's going on. Is is it's changing now, and it's changing because of this agenda. I. Okay, uh, if if I am to accept that there is an agenda and that things are changing, and I, I won't rule it out, it's it's a possibility. I would need to see where the agenda is, who's doing it, how they're doing it, like, and, and actually seeing the results of it. Yeah, I think you would just have to follow the money and trace that shadow civil society. You know, the NGOs, the activist groups, the network of academic institutions. All yeah. this can there's a money trail here, right, and it can all be traced. Well, there's a there's a narrative um, here, and I, I see your narrative is plausible. 
Um, you know, th this could be happening. But if we're following the trail of the money, let's go find the money. Let's find the money that's been uh, that's been given from like George Soros and deposited into the account of the guy who's going to the schools and telling kids well, that the, these dead. are these are these are again, it's it's not individual to individual. It's foundations. It's institutions that hire activists and, and their entire like like you get hired by these NGOs and institutions and they acquire hegemony to mm -hmm. to carry out this agenda, not because of like one person's will, but because of one specific um, stance in regard to society that for okay. structural reasons, you know, prevails. So, so and like requires hegemony. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying there. So like, OK, so Doctors Without Borders, for instance, that's an NGO. That's an institution. It has um, board members. It has donations that it has to do. It's got tax records. You know, you can follow the money with Doctors Without Borders and see that Doctors Without Borders are saving people's lives in various war zones. Um, so what what is the gay Doctors Without Borders that is turning kids? Um, trans? Well, there's there's actually a, a huge amount. But one of the ones I can think of right off the top of my head is the Arcus Foundation. And that one was created by the Stryker Corporation. Um, but also the Open Society Foundation does advocacy for LGBT issues. And I mean, there's so many others. And are they doing advocacy for LGBT issues or are they making people gay? Like, what's the difference? Um, it's not they're not directly making people gay, but they are definitely creating environments uh, through institutions. Again, because institutions, I mean, human beings don't just have communities or families and, and whatever they have. There's mm -hmm. these institutions that are created for the express purpose of influencing the process of a, a human being's development or a child's development. So well, yeah, like the American Academy of Pediatrics is, a, is what you're talking about. Well, you have to focus on primary school education and you know what people are consuming like through television or through the internet. So that's more what I'm talking about there. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, what they seem to be consuming through the through the schools is, you know, an increasingly stressed and, um, uh, you know, underfunded uh, system that's trying to train them to be clerks, managers, uh, if they're still factories. We don't really have them anymore, unfortunately, not except for weapons in the United States. But, you, you know, factory workers, I mean, the American educational system is based on the Prussian model. Well, uh, but the, the thing is that the educational system is being reformed, it seems like, and part of these reforms include um, the very thing we're talking about here. And I, I think you're dealing, you're not necessarily dealing with, oh, we want to churn them out to be service workers. It's very clear that there's an agenda to churn out civilly, I'll be charitable by calling them civilly conscientious subjects who, oh, yeah. you know, they, they, they don't I, want people to break rules because then they have a who will not question for example vaccine mandates or lockdowns or maybe a war agenda in ukraine mm -hmm. you know people will be more willing to ex I, I i mean look if you want to if you want to put my tinfoil hat on and i can guess because i don't have direct proof of this but i just infer it i think what's going on is that sex because sexuality is the most fundamental aspect of our humanity if you can actually attach people's sense of sexual identity to these institutions then they're going to possess such a level of loyalty to these institutions based on this unconscious traumatic level that will make them unquestioning, unquestioning cultural and info and even literal soldiers of the machine, right? So I, I, I see this is kind of my mm -hmm. impression of why it's happening. 
Okay, so I'm I'm not going to get into that. I will say I don't think that if the government could and large institutions could completely change people and I mean they've been trying to do that since like the first king put the first crown on his head and found people dumb enough to think that made him better. Like that you know that state's been around what six thousand years out of our two hundred and forty four thousand years on this planet. Um, you know, and all through that time, they want obedient subjects, and they have been working and doing everything, and they keep failing. Um, you know, the power has been slipping from the grasp of the upper class. You know, really, uh, ever since like the the feudal period ended. I mean, that was a huge thing about the Bolsheviks. Well, that they I mean, the thing is, it's not necessarily about obedience because that's those you know looking at it in terms of authority and the the whole thing about the ceremonies of respect mm-hmm. and whatever. Um, you know, but here you're dealing with something different. You're dealing with the cultivation of active ideologists, active culture, active warriors who are going to actively be an arm of mass surveillance and police people's sure. behaviors. But like they, not, they, they tried to do that gonna, with MK Ultra and they failed. Like we, we have the well, records. that's just what I would question. Did they really fail or is it still going on? And I tend to think that it's not only is it still going on, it's been expanded to heights we can't even imagine. I understand. Yeah. Um, I think that's a bit of a, um, uh, what's the word? Not survivorship bias, but uh, self-serving bias. I think you want that. So you're assuming that they were not stopped. Now, were they stopped? Were they not stopped? Who knows? Um, So I got a quick question for you, though, um, because we're getting into like really into the weeds here. Okay. So what is, if these institutions that engage supposedly in gay advocacy, um, you know, what is the good version of that? Like, when are they in? Get, what, what is the difference between gay advocacy and gay indoctrination? Um, I, 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 te- I think the burden of proof should be on basically like, can if this is in fact a real thing um, that isn't just like um, being emerging as a phenomena because of a certain socially engineering, you know, a socially engineered environment. Um, I think it's the burden should be upon it to break through the web of societal mores and customs that do in fact activism at the real, no, not necessarily through activism at the real level of civil society. And at that level, I think, you know, as far as people's attitudes toward it, toward it are concerned, I think there's more room for it to be um, given organic expression, but I think it's really about the real civil society versus the artificial one that was created by the ruling class yeah. So, so uh, no, I, I get you. Um, I, I'm just asking, like, how do you, Haas, recognize this is the real civil society, that, th- that this group of people who have been marginalized and kicked around and, you know, uh, that them working for, um, you know, their civil rights um, is is well, true and good and right? I would and ask, this other um, group is wrong. And, well, and, and I would ask which circumstances requires censorship in order to um you know maintain themselves which circumstances require more kind of authoritarianism if you will to maintain themselves if if you relax the rules what would be the result i think that's a kind of good indication of where the people's sentiments really are yeah i'm um, sorry i think, I'm not, I'm I think it's be, we, uh, one uh, of yeah. the problems is that we do have a hard time understanding precisely what that is mm-hmm. which is why from square one we have to kind of return back to the people's sentiments no matter how hateful or whatever they seem to be and you have to work at that level as just your starting point Mm -hmm. um 
I just want know. to acknowledge really quickly before we get too yeah. far. Um, I, I love it that the tanky is taking the anti-authoritarian, the more, the more anti-authoritarian position here. Well, I mean, when it comes to culture, when it comes to culture issues, this really has been the default, um, you know, tanky view, I guess, throughout history. Hey, I, I, when it comes to other things, sure, I'll give you that there, there's more authoritarianism. But when it comes to cultural issues, there is really a kind of view that, you know, it's like when Stalin was talking to Enver Hoxha, two of the most authoritarian people, two of the most biggest tankies in the world, if you will. Stalin told Hoxha, who was engaging in this process of closing down churches and mosques, he told them, the religious sensibilities of the people must not be offended. You have to respect them. You have to meet the people where they are um, because they've had these for thousands of years. And if you artificially try to change people from the top, you know, it's going to bring you no good. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't disagree with that. I think he was probably right to say it, um, though. Also, you know, if you look at the broader imperial colonial project, a lot of the time this was Westerners imposing strict gender roles on societies that did not have them. Most best example is probably the Native American two spirits, for instance. Well, I think um, I think um, Native Americans and other um, non-Western groups did have strict gender roles just not ones that were the same as the western ones yeah but so there i agree more that than just two yeah well i i from what i've seen the more than just two genders have always been some kind of configuration uh mm-hmm. to give exceptionality uh of the two like presupposing yeah. that like the two in order to like give expression to combinations or something in between mm-hmm. but never actually a real third term positive sure. term so what you're describing is bimodal distribution, uh, which I think is how genetics and also gender uh, expresses itself within our society. You know, um, each of us, you know, men especially, I think we are biologically um, just modified females, essentially. That's why men have nipples. Um, you know, it, the body doesn't become male until hormones act on it in the womb. Um so, yeah, I get you. I, I get you there. Um, the thing is, is like even I think, oh, geez, what is it? Even Islamic sources, rep, um, like even Islam recognizes other genders than just men and women. And pre-Islamic sources, I, I think, actually recognized five genders. Uh, or, well, or, no, yeah. Islam is very clear about it comes from Adam and Eve. You know, there's no um, there's no uh, they them in, the, in you know, oh. the story of. Hang on, I'm pr- I'm pretty sure you you can correct me on this because this is I'm a Buddhist I'm not a Muslim but hang on yeah let me get this word because it's an awesome word um, uh, gender roles in Islam you here we go. oh go ahead sorry uh, no no you you say what you were gonna say because I there's a specific word for this you got it um, want to say my dear friends we are excited as mentioned debate con part two this conference is going to be bigger. I was I wrote it down like I'm I'm not joking, folks. The Eventbrite link to the tickets is in the description box right now. I really do think this one may actually sell out. It really is. We've got a great start in terms of ticket sales. So, folks, if you haven't yet, click on that description box link below for Eventbrite, where you can buy your own ticket to see this bad boy in person. And maybe you're like, well, I can't commit to the whole day, but you know, could I just see one debate? That is an option. You can get a ticket for one debate. And not only that, 
But my dear friends, the crowdfund, as you can see on the far right of the screen, is at 52%. It has continued to grow. We are going to reach our goal. If you believe in the vision, if you are with us on believing that, it's important that there is a neutral platform so that everybody can have their chance to make their case on a level playing field. Then join us by throwing in, hey, three bucks into that Indiegogo crowdfund to help us make this mm -hmm. event possible this, or I should say Saturday, November 19th in Plano, Texas. Go ahead, yeah, Brent. So the word is, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to mangle this, Mukanath. Uh, Mukanath, effeminate ones, ones who resemble women. It was a term used in classical Arabic to refer to effeminate men or people of ambiguous sexual characteristics. Yeah, but this is uh, not uh, permitted within Islam. You know, the Quran, one of the indications of the end of day says men will imitate women and women will mm -hmm. imitate men right sure but the, so, the existence of this role seems to indicate that this gender exists you may not like it but it still exists well um it th that's that was not a gender on its own it was a combination it was men acting like women right that's not its own positive term it's just a way right. to describe you know again that that uh, it, what did you call yeah, it by yeah, bimodal mean, distribution mm -hmm. yeah i i would agree and i think that it's you know shades of gray we can't draw a hard line between any of this unfortunately um it's frustrating for humans uh because that's kind of how we interact with reality by roping things off by drawing lines and deciding like you know focusing our conscious attention on just one part of reality as opposed to the whole um so like I get that. Um, I just see that it's a little arbitrary. The way I feel about sex and gender is that the the figure of a man and figure of a woman these are ideals that exist on the other end of the spectrum and they are correlated with masculinity and femininity. Um, biologically, most people uh, distribute closer to one or the other, um, but there's uh, some that get distributed in the middle biologically. Um, and either are born with unclear genitalia. Um, it's about 1% of people actually who wind up, even in the 90s, like they had a ton of babies born that had unclear genitals and the doctors would just guess. And they only stopped doing that very, very recently. And again, that's, one, that's around 1% of the population. That's bigger than the entire US military. Um, so like, yeah, most people are going to sort into one or the other. I just think that, you know, the existence of people who defy gender expectations for one reason or another, I don't think is inherently subversive. And I think that that is more if there is an essence of humanity. I think that's more them expressing their version of that essence than that being imposed on them by like some shadowy, sinister cabal. Um. Can you repeat that again? I kind of was yeah. <laughs> I was talking for a while. Um, okay, so basically, th this is how I like to think about gender, and I think I'm right on this. Um, so, gender, the roles in society, gender is the therefore you should. Baby pops out. Baby looks a certain way. Doctor looks at it and says, "Oh, this is there's a penis. This is a man," you know. And society comes to that baby later and says, you know, through their parents, through their interactions with others you are a man, this is how you should behave. So gender is the therefore you should, well, I, I think biology is what you are. I think, but yeah, I think you also need to understand that, I think there's a, there could be bias here in terms of, why is it assumed that 
gender is necessarily beginning with identity rather than beginning with difference. Because I think it's difference that gives rise to what sexual, I mean, sex literally means sexed, right? Yeah. So the primary element here is difference, not necessarily identity. And if there's distinctions between like, what is a man and what is a woman? That's mm-hmm. not because of like a discrete identity unto itself. It's rather, this is the form of the difference. This is what so, gives form to that difference. And of course, what gives form to that difference. You're getting at something really deep here um, that I actually really lo- love. It's the uh, hidden union of opposites. Um, best way it's been described as is, yeah. uh, imagine there's a white paper and this beautiful draw- ink drawing on the paper. So you're looking at the drawing and your brain's, well, what, where's the drawing? And most people will, will center on the ink. But in fact, the ink isn't there, you know, floating in space. It's just what's obvious. It is the relationship between the ink and the white paper that creates the drawing. So what you are seeing is a hidden polarity, a union of opposites. Um, And I think that's really great because, yeah, oftentimes, like, we learn who we are by encountering that which is not us. Um, and I think this even goes back. Uh, babies have uh, this thing called the oceanic feeling. When a baby is new is newborn, they don't actually know like um, they they can't identify what is them and what is happening to them. It's all just one. Um, I actually think that that's more correct, but that's we would have to get into a religious discussion for that. Um, but like the point is, um, we so in a way, I think. Our culture absolutely needs these gendered expectations because they, again, reflect back through their otherness. They reflect back to um, the women and men of our society who do conform. They they actually help create masculinity and femininity as opposed to being a threat to it. Uh, You know, they are different, obviously, um, uh, you know, and exceptional. They are literally exceptions, but I, I don't think that's bad. And I, and I actually think it's, it's almost definitely natural as opposed to imposed artificially. Well, I think my biggest gripe is not necessarily the existence of exceptions, which I do think I agree it's inevitable, mm-hmm. but it's, it's what I would call the tyranny of the minority, which is why does mm-hmm. the exception have to be raised to the status of the norm. And that's really what my problem is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, and I also think that, you know, to flip it around also, exceptions could not, could neither exist nor be given proper expression if the very, um, uh, if the um, primary, uh, if the primary elements uh, are are no longer able to like exist like you can't have the exception couldn't even exist if the norms were not in place mm-hmm. is what i mean so no, you, you yeah you're firm. touching on um uh dependent origination it's a major buddhist concept up doesn't exist without down uh light doesn't exist without dark um hardness doesn't exist without softness you know wood mm-hmm. is only hard in relation to a soft skin so yeah i i agree i think that, again these Two are, you know, dependently originant. So like, like you'll hear anarchists say property is theft. Well, it literally is in that both property, what is what when the concept of property entered the world with it came theft and vice versa. So, um, yeah, I, I, again, I, I just feel like, you know, so 
I get it that you feel that um, I guess these communities are being boosted institutionally a little too much. Um, and, and it makes sense that that might happen because, you know, for a very, very long time, these people were treated like garbage. Um, and it's only been very recently that the culture has become aware of them through science and culture and, and you know, the Internet just connecting a lot more of us. Um, you know, when somebody um, notices that their car is drifting in the wrong, a little bit over into the line, sometimes they do an overcorrection and pull to the right. That makes sense. And, you know, obviously that jostles the car. Um, so I, I could see perhaps, you know, in some of the, I guess, cringiest parts of, of wokeness or whatever people want to call it, you can see a nervous overcorrection um, in response to the mistake that was made. But I think at the same time, that, mis the, the, that mistake, that hegemony, and you call it whatever you want, you know, I think uh, the term kiriarchy makes a lot of sense for this. Um, you know, as society becomes m more diverse, or at least as society becomes aware of itself becoming more diverse, you'll have an initial period of overcorrection, which will then naturally dialectically um, <laughs> bring things back to, uh, I guess, a more harmonious part. And I, I just feel like, like these people, they got enough problems, you know, why, why do people have to hate on them? Why do they have to assume that they're part of some dark, shadowy uh, cabal? I mean, I, out of all of the queer people that I've met in my entire life, and I've met a lot because I work in the arts, I know a lot of trans people, um, you know, I've never found someone who says, oh, I was indoctrinated at school. Well, I mean, if, if they, if they yeah. I mean, but saying that would be like a conscious acceptance of it would it would be a, a way of them repudiating their current identity. If if they're gonna say that I only have the identity I do because I was indoctrinated, not well, because it's like my authentic identity, clearly. Ironically, they I ironically them. I have encountered the, the reverse of that. Now there, there there is a friend that I have, um, and he is, currently identifies as uh, bisexual or pansexual. I think I just think pansexual sounds like you want to have sex with bread. Um, <laughs> but like this friend of mine, like he had a conversation with me a few years ago uh, over some beers, where he said he doesn't know if he's bi or gay, and he feels like. All of society was pushing him his whole life, his father and everything were pushing him to not be gay. And now he doesn't know if his attraction to women is, you know, is real or if that's just been imposed from without, um, you know, and I can't weigh on it one way or the other. My my opinion is more or less, you know, I think I think um, both sexual orientation and gender are determined pretty much biologically for most people. Well, I, I think adults, you know, can can have the liberty to, you know, be confused about that. I just think it's really dangerous that children are being introduced as like a, a subject of this kind of confusion. So that's just where I, what I'm saying, yeah. you know, I mean, sure. Adults, I, adults don't, you know, adults really, you know, they don't like, they don't know what food they like. They don't know what they like to sleep with and they're, mm -hmm. they can do all that. Right. But it's the issue is right. They, those formative stages before we become adults. Um, I think that's where the backlash is coming from mm -hmm. because people are trying to intervene at that level. And this has, I think, rightfully uh, offended mm -hmm. the sensibilities of the people. So what what I can pull out of that, and I think that I think there is a gem in there. 
Um, my son, um, so, so my family, we have a cat, uh, it's about middle-aged cat, a little less than 10 years old. I just found out a little while ago, um, took him to the vet and found out he has, um, cancer, his, his kidneys and his intestines are just riddled with cancer. The vet says, even if I was a millionaire, there's nothing we could do to save him. We can only just make him comfortable. And so, you know, bring the cat home and me and my wife have the we, we have the conversation that like, how are we going to tell our son? You know, I had hoped that he would be a bit older before being like, he knows death. Uh, he knows about death, but he doesn't understand it. He's never experienced it before. Um, and I can see, I guess a, a point where parents don't want the kid introduced to um, I guess, concepts like, gay, trans, identity, whatever, um, too early. But I think also that inherently implies that, that, this, that these concepts must be uh, brought up to them in, because they are a part of reality. The gay people are not going away. Trans people are not going away. They've likely been with us since the very beginning of our species. Um, you know, and in much the same way that it would be a disservice for me to try to make sure that my son never learns about death unless he becomes the next Buddha, <laughs> you know, um, unless it's a disservice, it, like it's important for kids to learn about the world as it is, not the world as we wish it were. Right. But then there's a fine line between learning. See, the problem is that they're learning about it, but mm -hmm. then how much of learning about it is a, is um, a way of hijacking the process by which they learn about themselves. And that's mm -hmm. the issue, right? Gay people, for example, I can't, mm -hmm. and I'm sure trans people are included. They've always existed. You're right, but they've always been a very small percentage of the population. Two minute and warning. That makes biological that. sense because if it was the contrary, you know, you know, there probably wouldn't. Its reproduction wouldn't be possible. Well, and that's we fine. Don't, we don't necessarily know that. Um, I, I think gays are. are 10 to 20% of the population and uh, trans are usually 1%. Yeah, that sounds yeah. extremely high to me. I mean, I don't know. I, just... I, I think trans is lower, but the thing is, is that with regard to reproduction, you know, as I said before, nature, I, I'm just, scientists. I'm just, what I'm just trying this. to say is that like, when it comes to what children need to know about, mm -hmm. I, I think like, um, there's, they don't need to know about different forms of sex. Uh, and if they see uh, two guys holding hands in public and they're like curious about it, I guess people could just yeah. say, you know, oh, yeah, that's like a different thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they would be that curious about it if, you know, sure, I, don't, I, just, I don't necessarily know why it has to be institutionalized. Well, to take this back to my opening statement um, from the, uh, the Chinese uh, publication and that was then echo echoed in Nature Journal, you're actually protecting kids by teaching them about this. And we can disagree about what point is right to introduce this to kids. But when you do teach kids about sex in a way that is, you know, uh, I guess, um, conducive to their um, knowledge as a kid, you are protecting them. They are able to say when they are getting abused, um, they're able to recognize it and call for help. When people don't do that, there is a, you know... A, and that's honestly why a lot of abuse takes place in institutions like the Catholic yeah, I would, Church I would and have Southern to, Baptist like, League. I would have to like independently look at that publication. Sure. You know, I'll send I'll send you the paper. Um, yeah, I have to. As, yeah. I can't really. I don't really like. 
I, I can't really make anything of that because I haven't mm-hmm. seen it. But regardless, sure. just from what I can say, um, uh, I don't I don't necessarily think that um, children learning. I mean, when you say learning about sexuality, what does that mean for children? What does that mean for mm-hmm. their own development? I don't think children really have the capacity to understand sexuality until they themselves start to develop sexual feelings mm-hmm. through the course of puberty. So well, that's get it on different it's, usually, levels. it's usually the job of parents to make sense of those feelings by explaining, you know, what's going on when people are going through puberty. Like, you know, usually mothers will talk to their daughters and fathers will talk to their sons. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's an entirely normal thing. And all brothers will occasionally talk to their brothers. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know why that has to be handled again institutionally. I don't know why a school has mm-hmm. to take on the role as, as like of teaching children about all the ins and outs of sexuality when, you know, for mm-hmm. for as long as humanity's existed, it seems like that's been handled in a more organic, natural way. Okay, sure. a chance to respond, uh, I, Brent. Then we're going to mm-hmm. go into the Q&A. Yeah, sure. No, I see that. Um, uh, what I'll say is the reason why it's be and you know, like I said, there are scientific studies that prove uh, pretty conclusively that it, it should be included in the school. The reason it is being put into curriculum is because there is a problem that needs to be addressed institutionally. Um, if just, you know, just letting things be, and it is hilarious coming from an anarchist, uh, worked, we wouldn't be having these problems in the first place. Um, you know, I, I guess what I'll just say is, um, you know, the thing... Both infrared, both you and me, uh, we are interested in one form of revolution uh, or another. We are both interested in changing the status quo in a very big way. Um, and to, to go back again to, um, you know, uh, to Che Guevara, a revolutionary is motivated by great feelings of love. I think that people who do not conform for whatever reason, be it that they are neuroatypical, be it that they are, um, you know, a different sex uh, or gender identity, uh, or be it that they are a minority, all of them, those are our comrades. Those are the people who are going to become the core of any revolutionary movement because they have the least invested within the society. But beyond that, if we are trying to build a better, more connected, um, you know, more compassionate world um, where we have a society that actually works rather than the tire fire that we've got going on right now, I think we need to build that way in a humanistic, compassionate way that actually uplifts the entire species. That's that, in my opinion, is the, the driving force directly behind communism and why people why people have found communism so, um, you know, um, enthralling since the time of the ancient Greeks. We'll jump into the Q&A. Want to say, folks, we are thrilled to have you here, no matter what walk of life you are from, politically left, politically right, or one of the many strange creatures in between. We are glad you were with us. This is Modern Day Debate, and we are a neutral debate platform fully neutral moderation, and nothing but debates. We have no position videos where we say, oh, that debater stunk, or oh, here's the right position on this debate topic. No, no, no. We let you, the fans, decide. Want to say thanks for all of your support, folks, and let's get to your questions. This one coming in from, let me know if I pronounce this right, Latinite HVAC. Thank you very much for your question. says, Brent, 50% of Gen Z is identifying as... LGBT. This <laughs> is no more way. than last generation. 
How can you say mm -hmm. sexuality isn't malleable if there is huge upswings of LGBT kids, the more socially acceptable it becomes? Yeah. So 50% of Gen Z, that's ridiculous. Um, what, what's happened there, I think, is that you have found an outlier poll that um, was conducted in a poor way and led to huge bias. Uh, you know, as they say, uh, you say in my statistics class, there are liars, there are damn liars, and there are statisticians. You need to look at the overall surveys of this. And I don't know what they would be, but 50% is way too high. There's no way. Um, you know, as opposed to why are we suddenly seeing a lot more gay and trans people because they were always here, but they were hiding. You know, it wasn't until I, I bring this up frequently, but, you know, at my lunch table in, in high school, you know, there was a kid who was in my circle of friends that would frequently remark over lunch that if he were president, he would round up every single gay person in the country, put them in an island and blow that island to hell with a tactical nuclear strike. Now, if you've got kids talking like that, you know how hard kids bully other kids and find any little difference as an excuse to go after them. Like coming out as gay is was until very recently, and it still is to a certain extent, extremely dangerous. Um, it, it makes you at higher rates of uh, suicide, higher rate. You're more likely to be murdered oftentimes, especially if you're a trans woman. Um, you're more likely to be abused. You're more likely to be denied housing or food or kicked out of your home. The reason we're seeing more of them is it's finally safe, but they were always here. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question. Yajalma says believes in a conspiracy of rich people to dumb down people, but LGBT people trying to normalize their behavior is a conspiracy theory by the right, Brenton. So they're saying, yeah, I mean, it's Brenton believes in a conspiracy theory of rich people that are trying to t dumb down people. But then says, but the LGBT people that are trying to normalize their behavior is a conspiracy theory by the right. And then they see Brent is molded mm -hmm. by society. He has no internal beliefs. He's also a soy boy. <laughs> oh, I, by the way, no, I do not eat soy. It's soy is like the McDonald's of, of uh, protein supplements. If you want to do like a, a milk based thing, like or you're going for like bodybuilding Vega protein powder. It's phenomenal. It's actually way, way better than um, uh, than whey even. And, you know, I'm lactose intolerant. So that's that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is, is that like, OK, so there are actual real conspiracies that we can see. It's not a conspiracy that wealthy people want a population that are just smart enough to do the job and do the paperwork, but too dumb to figure it out and cause problems. And that, that it's literally the, the, they, it is how much funding they give to the schools. So the Republicans right now are trying to pull as much funding as possible out of the public school system. This is because they are not seeing they're not realizing that kids are coming out of the school system ready to work. They're taking that for, for granted. So it, it's the rich doing what is in the economic best interest for them. Um, as opposed to, I don't actually see a reason for rich people 
to just make people gay. Like, I, I think there was like something in the DOD when <laughs> this came out during the war in Iraq, there was somebody trying to develop like a gay bomb <laughs> that would make all the other soldiers gay. And they just have an orgy, like instead of fighting the US military, that didn't work for obvious reasons. One of the most ridiculous things. And hey, hundreds of thousands of your tax dollars went into that. So maybe take a look at our, our defense spending and put it into the schools instead. This one coming in from Yudaf Haku says, two Super Chats, says, Gorillas is the best band, ha, and then says, thanks, Infrared, I needed evidence of horseshoe theory. Yeah, of course. They, they yeah. need a Haas, you want to respond? Sounded like a girl. Haas, are you oh. watching somebody else's stream? No, 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 no. I was <laughs> exiting tabs on the... Yeah. I was leaving them. Um, I'll, the, I'll read the question again. I saw the horseshoe theory. Um, uh, okay, I mean, like... Okay, I mean, like, I think my sentiments... If you want, Okay, you want to talk about the Western left and, like, what's a real Communist Party? The KPRF, the Ru Communist Party of the Russian Federation... If you were even slightly, you know, more progressive than my view here, right, they would find it like abominably absurd, right? There's so it's like, are they, are they, I don't know, what is right wing, what is left wing? You could read my MAGA communism substack. And um, yeah, I think the horseshoe theory is uh, stupid because it basically like engages in this thought of like, oh, if you're anti establishment, then you're going to have views that differ from the establishment. It's like, okay. You got it. Uh, I, think I, will, I will concur with, with Haas there in that I think horseshoe theory is absolute bullshit. Um, if anything, I think fishhook theory makes a little bit more sense. Um, and I can get into that later. But uh, what I will point out, Haas, is that like one of the first things that the Bolsheviks did when they toppled the Romanovs was decriminalize homosexuality. Now that got rolled back later, but I think that well, was more of no, a... Well, they, no, they, they, de they threw out the entire body of uh, civil codes mm -hmm. um, indiscriminately. Which resulted in decriminalization. Right, but that didn't necessarily reflect their attitude on the question. I'll have to look it up and see, um, you know, because again, there's the currents within communism um, absolutely have a uh, drive towards, um, you know, I guess, uh, social progress. Uh, you know, well, that, I, I don't Paris think that's communism. true. Like, if you look at Mao's China and if you look at communist states, as they emerged in the 20th century, I don't think that yeah. really reflects. I mean, the, the Marx-Leninist the Marx movement, a lot of the time that was going and working with illiterate peasants and, um, you know, workers, uh, you know, recently industrialized workers. So obviously you will have a ton of reactionary sentiment among those classes. It, it's just natural. That's just how things go naturally. Um, right. But, but I like think to this also, day, for, the, for example, to this day, China um has just i mean china's pretty developed and they've just outlawed as of now they've just outlawed hormones mm -hmm. you know like did, they're did they even, if you have, even if you have a prescription you cannot get uh hormones for estrogen or whatever sure so, but did they outlaw gay people no but there's no gay marriage in china um I would have to look into that. I don't know one way or the other. I wouldn't be surprised because I mean again, I, I don't think I mean it's I think it's really rare to outlaw gay people. I mean even Iran 
doesn't outlaw gay people. They just outlawed in public. Uh, well, yeah, which I'm not and, and Iran isn't as bad as people make it out to be on that particular issue. I, I agree. There's there's more. And oftentimes that gets brought up as a reason to, you know, uh, wave the saber at Iran. Um, but I think, you know, I think the question is about social progress, which is not so much about toleration, more about trying to change the social norms. And communists definitely were not interested in that when it came to sexual uh, relations. I mean, you know, I think the free love movement was a huge part of um, the the left coming out of the but, the Paris Commune. I, well, maybe the left, but that was like fiercely opposed by Marx, Engels, and Lenin later as well. Uh, so I, I, again, I'll have to no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Engels was a huge advocate for women's rights. So there's definitely uh, from, uh, which um, at the time not, were. I mean, I don't know what you mean by women's rights. I mean, like Marx expelled feminists from the International Working Men's Association. Engels uh, literally wanted to destroy the family. <laughs> no, he did. Engels did not. Engels did not want to destroy the family. He merely insisted <laughs> on the fact that the state of capitalist family relations, mm -hmm. which actually commodified, which uh, is the family, like yeah, no, no, it was a it was a version of the family that emerged in Victorian England. Mm -hmm. Engels yeah. simply insisted upon the fact that this did not arise from any immutable laws of history. That families have changed throughout history, mm -hmm. and he said, "I have no way of predicting how families will change in the future." But I exactly. simply insist. It, but he said one thing I can be certain of is that um, a woman's love will never able to be again purchased with money and that mm -hmm. relations between men and women will be based on love and not money. That's what he said. Yeah. And, so, and he's 100 percent right there. Right. But, but again, that is over. He didn't want to abolish the family. He didn't want to abolish the family. He wanted to he didn't want to mm -hmm. abolish anything. Actually, he predicted that with the breakdown of capitalism. This kind of universal mm -hmm. prostitution, including real prostitution, mm -hmm. right, would break down. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I won't I, I won't 100 percent disagree with that. But but, you know, again, when right wingers are crowing about the family and how we have to protect the family, they're not crowing about family in general. You can't get rid of family because that's just how humans have lived on this planet. They want to protect very specifically the nuclear family, which is an the, the only reason the nuclear family exists is it was um, convenient for capital. Uh, it, it, it if, if the nuclear around, family um, uh, is defined by a man, woman, and children, I don't think that's something unique to capitalism at all. I think that's no, just... it, it, a man. Normally, human families, um, as we have existed on this planet, were clan-based and extended. It was usually a large family of everybody living together. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I understand that, but yeah. like in terms of a family unit. Those are very real, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, they're real. I'm just saying that the nuclear family, the, the form that that family took uh, in American history that the right is constantly trying to get us back to, um, you know, and the precursors to that, Engels was objective. Well, I mean, to I mean, no, extended yeah. families are very common. Guys. Mm -hmm. They're very common yeah. in rural parts. This is a really good conversation, James, but okay, let's move it on. This I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Big J says, Brent is the mm -hmm. proof behind MK Ultra." What does that mean, Brent? Um, so MK Ultra, the whole thing that they were trying to do was basically invent mind control um, by using LSD and uh, torture. Um, it didn't work. All they were able to do was essentially totally break a person down and like destroy their by basically keeping them on drugs and beating the crap out of them. But they, they didn't learn anything. You you could get the exact same effect on people that MK Ultra did by just hitting them with a stick enough times.
Gotcha. Kiwi in Springfield says, Brenton, do you have an OnlyFans? What? Okay. No. K. Lewis says this. Do they say like a little? K. Lewis, I can't insult half the chat. Oh my goodness! Lights <laughs> of the Twin Lamps says to both debaters, "What should the age of consent be?" How do you want to go first, or should I? Uh, eighteen seems like age of consent for adults. Eighteen, obviously, um, should yeah, and it should be pretty much discouraged for people who are both below 18. Um, I don't know if criminalized, like if two 16 year olds in high school, I mean, it should probably be like looked down on, but I don't know if they should go to jail for that. But if you're an adult and if you're over, if you're 18 or over, you should only be able to be with people who are 18 and older. That's something I'm sure enough. Brent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, as an anarchist, I'm against, laws in general law is a blunt instrument it doesn't uh oftentimes it can cause very serious problems a good example might be like when uh the age of consent at 18 was enforced against like an like an 18 year old uh, girl and like a 17 year old guy um and suddenly like the parents use that because they don't like the guy to get him charged as, as a sex offender wait that wait be- what do you what, yeah. You're against the age of consent? I'm against all laws, but I'm not against the age of consent. I think 18 is reasonable. I, I, what I think is, is that um, we need to basically cultural norms need to be created within the communities and enforced in ways that make sense as opposed to, um, you know, created somewhere else and enforced in a way that is stupid. The, the age of consent is meant to protect, you know, uh, 17-year-old girls from 25-year-old guys who say they love them. Um, it's not meant to, like, attack an 18-year-old because they slept with their 15-year-old boyfriend or girlfriend. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think in the long way, I agree with you, Has. Um, I think it's 18. I just... There but is probably... age, don't those laws, doesn't that kind of universal law establish a red line? I mean, it establishes a red line, but the problem is, is that the red line might be, um, uh, geez, uh, might be arbitrary and not apply in every situation. It would only apply in most situations. That's, yeah, that's but a big isn't, that, with the law in isn't that better than not applying at all? Oh, absolutely. No, no, I'm not saying that you should not apply. People always get confused about this with anarchists. I'm not saying that there should not be rules. Um, And I think that uh, an age of consent rule makes sense around 18. I think that's perfectly, uh, perfectly fine. Um, What I'm saying is, is that if you are in school, for instance, when um, this is a horrible thing about schools, um, you know, they have these zero tolerance policies oftentimes and minor infractions wind up hurting people who didn't actually do anything wrong a lot of the time. So, yeah, my, my my feeling on this is is that I think 18 is a perfectly fine place to draw that line. Um, I would just like to leave things up to judges and, you know, local communities as to what they how they want to uh, work around that principle. Um, with the exception, though, I will say, uh, because like the, I know there's stuff like, um, you know, uh, bigamy uh, going on in certain parts of the country where people are marrying younger and younger girls that that's that's really fucked up and absolutely needs to be stopped you know regardless of whether you do that with the law or, or some other tactic 
This from Chris Morlock says, for Brenton, LGBT mm-hmm. people do not reproduce nearly at the same rate as heteronormative people. Isn't promoting the political institutional or institution of LGBT seamlessly interconnected to degrowth policy? No, it's it's definitely not. In fact, and I wanted to get this in the in the debate. So we know that gay people exist in nature, just like we know that gay animals exist in nature. The reason these uh, the the reason that they exist is because they had some level of evolutionary utility, either in the past or now. If it was not useful for a species to have gay members of that species, there would be no gay members of that species. They would be bred out. Um, So, like, I think there's been some theories on it that perhaps, um, for instance, uh, gay people uh, get like they'll say, like, gay penguins because they will take care of orphaned penguins um, because like a, I guess straight penguins will not do that. will only look after their offspring. It gives an overall advantage to the entire penguin species. And similarly, I think having gay people within our population probably gives an overall advantage to humanity, even though the individual gay people may or may not be personally reproducing. Um, like one of the weird things about um, gay people is that the more like the more kids a woman has, um, and the more of like a particular gender, the more likely. So like if 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 a woman has a like a boy baby, and then follows that up with a brother, and follows that up with a third brother, the, like the third brother is statistically more likely to be gay than the first two. You got it. And last question. This one coming in from. Do appreciate your. Let me just see if I can find this here. Just want to say, folks, our guests are linked in the description. This last question coming in from. Oh, I couldn't find the name, but it, it was earlier in the chat. It was a standard question. They said, can each debater define gender? Said, I think they are talking about slightly different things. You, you want to go first, Haz? Um, how would I define gender? I would say that gender is the phenomenal expression of sexuality. Cool. Do you want me? I, I guess I'll go there. Um, in my opinion... Gender is the social expectations that come with having a particular body. Um, because I was born a man and, you know, I'm a big guy, 6'1", um, you know, doing all this crazy shit that I do. Um, like, that is me acting out the role of a man within society as a father, as a leader, the, all of those things. Um, that So, so the the sex is what you are gender is the therefore you should that is given to people based on what they are you got it and let me just double check i think you got all of them want to say folks as i mentioned if you love comic books no matter what side you're on politically left or politically right you can check out brenton's comic down below especially hey who doesn't like a good zombie story as i said i've actually bought one of Brenton's comics, mm-hmm. no joke. So I don't agree with, frankly, I don't agree with <laughs> Brenton or Infrared on too much. Yeah. But I James, do if you this. agreed, if most people agreed with me, I'd change my position. <laughs> but but <laughs> I want to mention that Brenton's comic is, you could say, nonpartisan. He's not pushing his, uh, you know, it's, 
what's the word I'm looking for? It, it's not propaganda stuff. Uh, <laughs> I'm so I'm an artist. Um, it, we're kind of the opposite of propaganda. Propagandist uses the truth to tell lies. I use elaborate lies, like stories about zombies and shit, to tell the truth, um, and that's reflecting a honest uh, portrayal. Uh, there's a there's a piece of me in every single uh, page that I write. Um, and you know, that resonates with people because we're all humans and I hope it, you know, it resonates because it makes me and everybody feel a little less alone when we can come together. But yeah, I'm not interested in didactically instructing people on how they should live and think, I don't know. I'm just, you know, telling a kick-ass story and, um, you know, just trying to be truthful as opposed to be uh, partisan. You got it. And so do want to say, folks, you can check that out. It's nonpartisan. So if you hate Brenton's political views, but you still love comics and you love zombie stories, well, hey, you can still check that out. And <laughs> let's see. Can, because, can you plug uh, Haas too? <laughs> oh, Brent. I just, but yeah, we do appreciate all. I got to say, folks, all of the speakers, they, we love and are <laughs> thankful for all the speakers. They're the lifeblood of the channel at Modern Day Debate. If they weren't here, it would be me debating myself every night. You don't want that, folks. So I want to say both of our guests, Brenton and Infrared, are linked in the description. Check out Infrared's link below if you'd like to learn more about his views. I mean, you've been listening to these guys for two hours. So, yeah, you know, you got a taste. But, hey, I mean, if you enjoyed it, You'd be crazy and not to click on their links to learn more about their views. And want to say, as mentioned, folks, we are excited for DebateCon, our second debate conference. What date is it, folks, in the live chat? You've heard it many times. It is Saturday, November 19th in Plano, Texas. With that, want to say thank you, Brenton and Infrared. Mm -hmm. It has been a true pleasure. Thank you. Appreciate it. Folks. Yeah, this has been a blast. I will be back in a moment. So stick around, folks, and I'll let you know about other juicy upcoming debates. And like I said, that link to tickets is down in the description box, as well as the Indiegogo crowdfund, which helps us cover the venue cost for this huge conference. So I will be back in just a moment. Stick around. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.